these last few Democratic debates, boy, I got to tell you, fire. Honestly, I like them. The Democrats have bought the spice. They bought the attitude. They bought the grandma gravy with the salad dressing on the side with the hash browns and the potatoes. I don't know why I'm describing some weird Huckleberry Thanksgiving, but um, yo, it's been great. Um, it's been great because they have this one dude. I think you may have heard of him. Name's Michael Bloomberg on the stage, and it has been an absolute gauntlet. I mean, every single Democratic candidate is like, I need to get these jokes off. I need to get these digs in, and I need to really attack this billionaire dude because he is the face of like oligarchy the face of like star wars empire type evil he was like the the poster child of the the literally the bernie speech the billionaires and the trillionaires literally like warren um elizabeth warren talking about how like she wants to wealth tax the super rich he is the poster child of like everything that the democrats technically hate <clears throat> and what makes bloomberg so interesting uh, Michael Bloomberg, of course, the guy who, you know, has the Bloomberg News Channel, the guy who has the Bloomberg terminals, the ones that's the Wall Street traders use, um, you know, the Bloomberg entity, the, you know, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Michael Bloomberg. What makes him more interesting, besides him having more money than little Jesus himself, is he used to be a mayor for like three terms in New York. And I don't know if you know this, but man, New York is a big city. It's a prestigious city. So when you're the mayor of New York, bruh, that's some that's some like world star level clout. Like people on the opposite side of the world know you for that sometimes, right? Very prestigious office uh, position to hold. And one of the big things about Michael Bloomberg's campaign that like looks so interesting, just just really trying to think about it and understand it, is this dude was the poster child of stop and frisk. And if you're not familiar with what stop and frisk is, this policy just destroyed black people and black families. Oh my God. Like, like we always talk about like, um, you know, people talk about a lot of times about institutionalized, um, you know, um, what is it? Institutionalized racism or systematic racism. That's what I want to say. The people want to talk about systematic racism, but don't really know the laws that really contributed to it in the modern era. Stop and frisk is like as big as they get. Like basically what stop and frisk was, is it was a law where, or it was a practice where basically police departments were given mandate to stop and frisk American citizens, right? Specifically, this practice happened in various cities around, but one of the main areas was New York City. And Michael Bloomberg, in an effort to slow down the crime rate within New York City, implemented stop and frisk. And the way that you implement stop and frisk without stopping everybody at all times and just create a complete police state, which is like almost unconstitutional, is what he did is he targeted um, lower income black um, neighborhoods and all the people that he stopped were he named on an interview was like 18 through like 35 young black males. 
that was the MO. And he was just going out and stopping as many black males on the street as possible. Now, this was like heavily scrutinized and people were just up in arms about this because basically black people were just getting locked up left and right. And the question we have today is, you know, the the crime rate dropped. So even though people were scrutinizing, Bloomberg is like, look, I must be solving crime. We all know that all the criminals doing these shootings are black. Let's just go to black neighborhoods and get the police and throw the black people in jail. Now, you're listening to this podcast and you're asking yourself, you know, should we forgive Bloomberg? Did stop and risk, uh, stop and frisk? It seems, you know, um, it seemed like it did something. It seemed like it was successful. Slow down the crime rate. Should we forgive Bloomberg? And my whole problem with this stop and frisk movement is, oh, my God, it was like the most ineffective thing or ineffective thing in the world. And Bloomberg, ignoring the data, ignoring all the information, still went through with it. So let, let me drop the facts, basically. Right. So essentially, the 90s, 80s, all those times, super dangerous times. Like you can see it through, you know, our pop culture with all this gang culture that pop was popping up. You know, these Italian hoods, these Bloods and Crips, these Mexican gang, like the whole crime mob boss mentality, all this gang culture and crime culture, which is permeating throughout the, you know, the modern U.S. and world pretty much. However, in the 2000s in general, People are trying to piece it together, but for some reason, crime just significantly dropped. You can put it on the fact that we got cameras everywhere, maybe. Maybe because everywhere got richer and there's less poverty in the world. But there's a bunch of economic reasons people can't really think of just one. But crime just dropped everywhere. And what happened was happening with Stop and Frisk is this program was coinciding with the global downtrend of crime. What made this program so dangerous is that, yes, Bloomberg, he, I believe, I I have to believe he was trying to do something good. But there's just so much problems with it. First of all, he made the people that he was trying to protect and save Literally the the suspects and literally the criminals and literally the targets. He's like, oh, black people getting shot? Bro, you know what would stop these black people from getting shot? If we just locked up all black people in general? (laughs) Because apparently the black people are doing most of the killing. It, It just doesn't make sense. It's like, just imagine if white women were getting kidnapped. You know, white women are just an epidemic of white women getting kidnapped all the time. Oh, my God, this is so terrible. And it came out through the data that white men were doing most of the kidnapping. Newsflash, this is like what the data shows. White white crime is mostly done against white people. But let's just say this epidemic happened, right? Would the police come out and just lock up all white dudes? And The way that the police did this is because drugs were illegal, like even weed was like super illegal, like in Canada, 
allowed in New York. You get caught with like a like a little bit, a little ounce. You go to jail. And then they had those like hardcore three strikes rule, three strikes rules. So if like you're caught like three times with weed, you could go to drug. You can go to jail for like plus 10 years for a nonviolent offense. Crazy stuff, right? And plus when you get, you know, when you get caught for possession of, you know, marijuana, you can start messing up with the system and having to like pay these bonds and have parole and all this messy stuff. But what was found in the research around this time was that white people and black people smoked marijuana at the same rate. So the effect of over-policing and stopping and frisking black people in these areas is they would catch these black people not for guns, not for murders, but they would just catch them with some weed and then throw them in jail. Meanwhile, if you're a cop, you could go to any college in New York, read the dorms, and you will find so much weed, so much bongs on campuses. But the white people weren't getting locked up. So that was what was happening. They were trying to catch murders, but they were just locking up low-income black people instead and destroying families and communities. Um the reason Michael Bloomberg, like, you know, personally, like there's a lot of skepticism there with him trying to become president is because in the face of data, he couldn't just be like, you know what, fam, I was wrong. I messed up. I shouldn't have locked up, <laughs> locked up black people. And it wasn't until like 20 Literally, like last year, last two years, that he actually says, "Actually, I've started making a mistake." He was even took this to like the courts, was trying to like get the courts not to overturn stop and frisk, and then the Supreme Court called it unconstitutional. And then, of course, he couldn't racially profile anymore in his police practices. So, right now, should we forgive him? Well, it's all about how hard Michael Bloomberg goes to rewrite his wrongs. You know, we see that in America or in North America, really, there is a huge racial wealth gap. White people out earn black people 10 to 1. And because of things like the perceived criminality of black people, it stops black people from thriving and even being on an equal opportunity landscape as other people at various times in the economy, right? Like 10 to 1, think about it. The average white person has 100 grand in net worth, and the average black person has around 10 grand. Come on, bro, that's crazy. And we're scratching our heads. We're like, why does this happen? And it's basically political actions like what Michael Bloomberg has done in the past with stop and frisk, or with redlining, or with in New York right now, where you have basically standardized testing that favors upper class, you know, white students that have the funds to get tutoring over the lower income black students who are at these schools who aren't as well funded. But there's multiple aspects throughout the land where that causes this. And you would think someone like Michael Bloomberg would be on the forefront of fighting this. Now, he's donated money here and there, here and there, which is great. Like he's a huge philanthropist. But my goodness, $60 billion? 
I'm sorry. This guy has so much money. Bill Gates is literally like inventing water that we can all use in the future. I'm sorry, Bloomberg, but but like as someone who's like so heavily affected black people and I know you've donated to black organizations, bro, you got to go harder. You got to go ham. Like, I want to see this guy, the leader of the NCAAP or whatever. I want to see him at the BT Awards champion. Like, I want to see him at every black event trying to get these black businesses, trying to support black um, people going through different career fields. I want to see him at every aspect of the tunnel trying to right his wrongs. And I want to see him getting the black people out of jail that he's put there in the first place. You got to go harder to right your wrongs. And I think that's the only way as a society we should like kind of forgive Michael Bloomberg for it. Now, he can change. He's 80. He's old. His skin's maybe a little wrinkly, but he can change. I believe it. I believe anyone can change. You can teach old dogs new tricks, but we'll have to wait and see. And as always, the best, most brightest investors are the uneducated ones. Why is that? That's because the uneducated investor, they never stop Learning, if you like this podcast, make sure to give it a five-star review. And we, Flight Crew, have to take off.